apply it. And as a matter of fact, there's something about Revelation that I want to share with you on that light as well. So just for a few minutes, going to be very short because we're going to take the Lord's table. I want to just, in, in review, this last Sunday of review, I want to talk about a few of the particulars of Revelation, a few of the promises of Revelation, and a few of the practices that we can put into our real life, everyday life from Revelation. So the book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John. These are the particulars, some of the particulars. Written by the Apostle John, sometime between A.D. 90 and A.D. 95, somewhere around the end of the first century. The purpose of the writing of the book of Revelation was to show the servants of God what must soon take place. And that's according to the, one of the key verses in Revelation, chapter 1, verse 19, which says, Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Okay? Um, I look at Revelation as a literal book. For the most part, I mean, there are pictures, there are visions, there are symbols, but for the most part, the majority of the book can actually be taken literally. And this doesn't matter of which point of view you come from. Uh, the Mark of the Beast, 666, the Battle of Armageddon, uh, the Great White Throne Judgment, the Eternal City of God, the soon coming King, the, the time where the church will reign with the Lord. Uh, those are, are, are literal, actual events that will occur. And those are events that God has written in his word that are uh, available for us to see, not only in the New Testament, but also we can see types and shadows of that in the Old Testament. And that's one of the, one of the beautiful things I think we've learned from Revelation is that much of the material is taken from the Old Testament. Not only the books of Daniel and Ezekiel and Zechariah, uh, but, but many of the other books, like the books of the Psalms and the books of the patriarchs, that is the first five books of the, of the Bible, the Pentateuch, a lot of that c content contributes to the book of Revelation, which is why it could be understood by common people that were unlearned, untrained, farmers and cattlemen, and carpenters and men that worked with metal could also understand the book of Revelation. So that's some of the particulars of Revelation. Let me give you some of the promises in Revelation that I want you to take home with you. Like chapter 21, verse 1, where Revelation promises a new heaven and a new earth. I personally believe that will be a physical new heaven and a physical new earth. In Revelation 21.9, the Bible says that the new Jerusalem will flow with lavish descriptions of size and splendor. That's actually in verses 9 through 27 of Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21 verse 23 says that the city, the new Jerusalem, will not need sun nor moon because it will be bathed in the light of the glory of God. There will be no need for sunlight to provide light. There will be no need for moonlight to provide light because God's glory will provide all the light that is necessary. That's a promise. Here's another promise. In Revelation chapter 22, the Bible says that there will be pure waters and abundant vegetation. 
in, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, the Bible says there will no longer be any curse. There will be no sickness. There will be no suffering. There will be no sin. There will be no sorrow. And there will be no death. Isn't that worth the price of admission just by itself? I mean, even if we weren't getting any crowns, even if we weren't getting any stars or, or, or any sort of accolades or blessings or anything else, any additional rewards, just living in that environment to me would be enough to want to live right and want to be saved, want to be sanctified, want to go to heaven. Amen? Amen. Another promise of the book of Revelation that you can take to the bank is that Revelation 22.4 says that, it, that as of our relationship with God, that they will see, that they being we, will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. That's Revelation 22.4. Isn't that a striking contrast with the people that will take the mark of the beast where the mark of the beast will be in their foreheads and hands. This is a contrast that shows the flip side of that, that our, our foreheads will bear the name of the Lord God himself. Also, the Bible promises in Revelation 22:17. the Bible says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life come. The Lord is always, I love the fact that throughout the book of Revelation, throughout the word of God actually, but throughout Revelation, God is always inviting us to repent. He's always inviting us to be saved. He's always inviting us to be restored. He's always inviting us to be refreshed. He's always inviting us to be replenished. God is always about reconciliation. He's always about forgiveness. He's always about renewal, reconnecting, restoring, refreshing, refurbishing. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. I love it. I love it. And I want to conclude. I've talked about the particulars of Revelation. I've talked about the promises of Revelation. I want to conclude with the practical application of Revelation. How do we take what we've learned for the last multiple weeks in this study and how do we walk it out? How do we live it out? How do we put it into practice? And I think Part one or, or step one is accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. One of the things that I've done not enough during this series is extend an invitation to Christ to let anyone know that is here on the premises, that's here online, that might be listening to this message down the road via the internet or our website or social media, that you can know the Lord in your heart. You can know him personally. You can receive him as not only your savior, but your soon coming king, your Lord, you can know him and salvation makes you eligible. Watch this. Salvation through Jesus Christ 
makes us eligible for heaven. It's the only criteria, it's the only prerequisite that we need to meet. And that is to accept the Lord Jesus Christ, to become born again, to become saved. That makes us eligible for heaven. There are no other hoops that we have to jump through. There are no other membership requirements that we have to fulfill. There are no other things that have to be done. When we accept that the Lord tells us in his word that when we accept him in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, that we are sealed with the seal of promise. Amen? Yeah. I, I want to read that. I want to read that because I think it's just so important to know what this walk is like. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says the following. In him also, after, you, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, the Bible says, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That means that that sealing, that is not only a down payment, but the Bible says that it is, it is a surety, it is a guarantee. It's a promise, a promissory note that you have been reserved a spot in heaven. Amen? That's what our salvation means to us, that God has made it clear to us that our position, our place with him has been confirmed. I love, I love the fact that that's not the only place that we can find evidence of that. If you go all the way back to Luke chapter 10, when the 70 were sent out and returned, here's what the Lord said about them when they came back because they were so pumped about what they had done. But the Lord wanted them to know that there were other results that they should be thankful for. And that's in verse 20 of Luke chapter 10. It says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. And I've said to you that the Greek word there for recorded actually suggests that it's a, it's a legal registration. We have been documented. We have been actually written, our names have actually been written down in an official register, however that looks, whatever that looks like in heaven, so that our names are not just there on a piece of document or a paper or whatever it is, but that we have been verified, we have been registered, we have met the criteria for membership, Rod. That, that, that's more than just having your name written down. There's more than just having your word on a list. It means that you have met the qualifications. You have been certified. You have been registered. And, and if that weren't enough, Ephesians said you have been sealed with the signet ring of the king that's irreversible, that can't be changed, can't be altered, can't be modified, cannot be revoked. That's what God has done for us. Boy, oh boy, that's the kind of salvation that you can not only take to the bank, but you can actually tell your neighbor to hold your mule because you're going to shout right now because it's already taken care of. Amen. Amen. I love that. I love that. My Monday morning moment is really simple. It says, being informed is good, but being transformed is best. Being informed about the word of God and about the book of Revelation and all the other books. That's good. Good information, good to know. Good instruction, good to know. 
But the ultimate, the ultimate goal of us studying this book week in and week out, day in and day out, month in and month out, the ultimate goal of this book is not to just inform us, is not to just instruct us, is not to just inspire us, but it is actually to transform us. For Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So what God is talking about is this, this Greek word metamorphi or metamorphosis from which we get our English word from is a changeover. It's not just a cosmetic change on the outside. It's not just a facelift. It's not just a makeover. It's a constitutional change from the inside out. God gives us a new being, a new presence. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, behold, now in Christ Jesus, we are a new creation. I know in some Bibles it say we are a new creature, but I think if you look at the original language, it breaks that down in a better translation. It's that we're not just a creature, we're a new creation. God has remade us, reconstituted us, reformed us. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Behold, old things are passed away. All things have become new. That's who we are. That's what we should be pumped about. That's what we should be excited about. People get so excited about the, 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 the frills of being a Christian and the side effects and some of the, the side benefits. But what we should really be pumped about is not our ability to be able to go out and lay hands and the sick are healed or that we perform miracles or that we can be blessed financially or physically or in our fair marriages and our families. Those things are all well and fine. But the greatest thing, what should keep us going, the fuel that should energize us on a daily basis is that our names have been written in heaven and God has recorded our names in the book of life. What should fuel us from day to day is that our salvation has been guaranteed through the blood of Jesus Christ and that our names have been recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life and that he has given us this guarantee through his blood that we will be with him because we have been made anew. That's what should keep us going. Amen. Amen. Nothing else tops that. Nothing else tops that. That's why often when you hear me pray, I will always say, Lord, may you be glorified and may we be edified because we are edified by our testimony. We are edified by our, our, our walk with the Lord. We're edified by our worship and our praises in his presence. When the, when, when the, when the Lord gave us this final, this final example I'm going to give you, and Luke with, with the rich man and Lazarus, the Bible says that, that the rich man said, Lord, Father Abraham, can you just send Lazarus back to my brothers, my five brothers, and tell them not to come to this horrible place? He was in Hades. He, he, was, he was in a place of tor torment, and he was just suffering day and night, and, and Abraham denied him, denied the, the, uh, the poor man Lazarus to touch his, put his finger in water to touch the tip of the rich man's tongue. He said, well, if you won't let Lazarus do that, will you at least send him back to my five brothers and tell them not to come to this horrible place. Matter of fact, what I'm talking to you about is either in Luke uh, 16 or Luke 18. So one of those two chapters, 
that you'll you'll get a chance to uh, review this particular this particular uh, record or this particular account. And I believe I believe in my heart that it was not a parable. I believe that it was an actual account because in none of the parables you find in the Gospels did the Lord ever use the name of a person. He always would. Um, uh, this is chapter 16 of Luke. He would always use uh, individual descriptions, but he wouldn't use specific names. In this particular account in Luke 16, he uses the name of Lazarus. But let me conclude with this. Here's what he said. And this is just a classic response that should be a blessing to you. He said, here is the problem. If I sent Lazarus back, if they won't believe the word of God, if they won't believe the teachings, or, or he actually he was referring to, he said if they won't believe the Moses and the prophets he was referring to, the Pentateuch, and he was referring to the book of prophets, the 12, 17 prophets, 12 minor, 5 major, so to speak. And I would add into that, I'm sure imply that what would have been the books of history and poetry, which would have been the 5 books of poetry and the 12 books of history, if they're not going to believe the word of God, and that's what was the word of God at that time, if they're not going to believe God's word, watch this, everybody. He said, then they're not going to believe even one who would return from the dead. What that says to me is that miracles, even miracles, even miracles as grandiose as the dead rising, that's, that's the highest miracle there is, right? You can't get a miracle that's better than a physical resurrection. He says, if they're not going to believe the word of God, then they won't even believe a physical resurrection. Because, here's the reason, miracles is not what saves us. Signs and wonders is not what saves us. Demonstrations and works and all these types of things that you see going on and activities is not what saves us. At the end of the day, we are saved by the word of God. This is what saves us. This is what saves us. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17 says, and hearing by the word of God. This is how we are, this is what's lasting. This is, listen, this is what's transformative. Miracles come and go. Miracles even can be fleeting. Look at all the miracles that the children of Israel have seen. Miracles that haven't been repeated perhaps even in history. You know, the parting of the Red Sea, the, the pillar of fire by night, the manna from heaven, and all the other, you know, dozens of miracles, perhaps, that they had witnessed. And it still wasn't enough to keep them on the straight and narrow because the word of God is the only thing that can sustain us. Amen? Boy, that's so exciting. I love it. I pray that Revelation has been a great book to you. It's been an amazing book to me. It's been transformative. It's been, it's been transformative, and I am just pumped about it. And I'm looking forward to just seeing how it helps you in your studies and helps remove the intimidation factor from approaching any difficult book, whether it's Revelation, Daniel, Ezekiel, any other difficult books. You know that now they can be learned, they can be understood. Most important, they can be practiced because it's all the word of God and none of it was to be obscured so that we could not put it into practice. Amen? Amen. So we're strong. We're not intimidated. 
we have just a, a, a fighting energy, a spirit of overcoming, and we're just going to keep moving, knowing that you can handle Revelation, you can handle any other book in the other 65 books. Amen. God bless you. Amen. 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 So I'm going to ask the elders if they would come at this time. And